0: Good evening and welcome. My name is Effie Fokas, and it is a real pleasure for me to be chairing this evening's event, which is hosted by the LSE Forum on Religion, of which I am chair. We're privileged to have with us tonight Tariq Ramadan, Professor of Contemporary Islamic Studies at Oxford University and President of the think tank, the European Muslim Network. Professor Ramadan is, uh, I think needless to say, a leading figure in debates around issues about Muslim ways of being in the West, and the Islamic revival in the Muslim world. He's written a book entitled What I Believe in order to communicate succinctly what is his message, a few essential points about how Muslims can be both faithful Muslims and Western at the same time. Tonight, we are lucky to have a sneak preview of the English language version of this book, uh, which has not yet been released. Uh, We're doubly lucky to have the chance to buy a copy afterwards, uh, since uh, the publishers have rushed in the first hundred uh, copies off the press uh, this evening. Um, In the meantime, though, I'll ask you to join me in welcoming to the podium, Tariq Ramadan.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, this invitation here, um, uh, the Forum on Religion, and uh, this lecture this evening, uh, and especially giving me the opportunity to, to speak about the, the, this last book and, and what I believe, in fact. Um, I will try to go through some of the, the, the points that I'm tackling in the, in the book and, and, and really what I think it's much more important is the questions that we can have and and to have a discussion afterward. But let me go through uh, some of the main points and and starting with an introduction. In fact, uh, the book was, at the beginning was a proposal. Uh, And for you to understand what I mean by that is that uh, uh, an Italian publisher came to me and said, okay, look, Tarek, the people are not reading your books. (laughs) Too heavy too academic, you speak about many things and it's not going to work like that, Uh, if you want to talk to journalists, if you want to talk to ordinary Europeans and Westerners and and Muslims even you have to write short books with the substance very simply put and I said three months, no I don't want to do that, I I wrote a lot and uh, it should be enough, and then at the end I said okay uh, by talking to people, I think uh, I thought, yes, I maybe have to do something like this, which is a simple book with the substance of what I think. And this book is mainly about, as you said, Western Muslims. The book before uh, Radical Reform, it's not about Western Muslims. It's really about contemporary uh, Islamic issues in the Muslim-majority countries as well as in the West. Uh, it's really crossing the board in which way we have to to face the challenges of our time wherever we are as Muslims. So it's really to come back to the scriptural sources. Here it's mainly about our situation in the West, our situation as uh, Western Muslims, as European Muslims, and what are the challenges and in which way we have to face this. So uh, the starting point is really a a personal journey. It's to start with what I experience and, and in which way as a Muslim as a European Muslim I had to face something which is a word that we can find everywhere now when uh, I start to speak controversy and controversial figure and say if you have to deal with this the point is that really Islam today in our societies is controversial per se, when you speak about Islam is a controversial issue when you speak about uh, identity it's a controversial issue and then if you speak about immigration is a controversial issue And then when you are European Muslims, the perception is that you are gathering all these dimensions together. You should be an immigrant, you should be a Muslim, and you have a problem of identity, challenging what is the European identity. So three dimensions uh, revealing controversies and a controversial discussion. So for the last uh, 15 years, I've been dealing with this and, and people... Describing me as such, and also adding to this, oh, there should be a double toke. So a double toke meaning what he says in front of you is not what he thinks. The point for me was really to write a book on what I think, and for you to read it and not to read what was said by someone thinking that I was thinking someone something else than what I I wrote. So the end is really the substance. So, so let me say something which is quite important for me. Because out of this, what I believe about us as Western Muslims and European Muslims is really to start with a few things that are personal, but at the same time that shape my life. I have been a teacher for, for 10 years uh, when I was young, very young. I started to teach when I was very young and I was teaching in secondary schools. And mainly what I was dealing with was solidarity work and solidarity projects with at the same time I was teaching but I wanted my students to be really much involved in anything which has to do with solidarity with people living in the neighborhood and people living in in Africa. Saying that uh, uh, if there is something which is important as a student is to get knowledge but it's also to use that knowledge to serve the people. We have to connect the schools with the surrounding society. I've been doing this for years, and this was something that I was doing as a teacher with no reference to Islam, to no reference to my religion, but reference to common values. And it's quite important because out of this personal experience, it shaped my way of dealing with my own values and the way I was dealing as a, a practicing Muslim, as a believer, and also as a teacher at that time. And there are a few things that were were quite important. I wrote first text about my students and what they taught me, not what I was teaching them, but what they taught me. And there was one, and I am talking about him in the book. I wouldn't be who I am now without him in my life. He taught me something which was essential. His name was Thierry. He passed away because of uh, 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 drug addiction and overdose. He was 19. But I met him when he was younger than that. I I, I traveled with him in Mali, in Africa. And uh, he taught me a few things that were essential. And then I remember something which is today, what I am dealing with sometimes when I deal with with intercultural dimensions and and understanding the people interreligious discussion, is something which has to do with intellectual empathy. Intellectual empathy. Once I was called by his sister telling me he beat my mother. So I went to the hospital. I was ready to shout at him and say, how could you do something like this? Because I was so disappointed. Someone I loved being able to beat his mother. And then his sister told me, look, this was the natural way we were dealing at home. We saw our father beating our mother and beating us. The natural way of talking at home was violence. And then, this is something which was so important for me. I was dealing with him. I loved him. And I was facing something which was unacceptable on the moral dimension. And then you understand what is the meaning of intellectual empathy. You cannot accept what he did, but you understand where, where it comes from. So, to understand does it mean that you justify? I never justify someone beating his mother but I understood that it was coming from his history. And now when you deal with anything which has to do with diversity, intellectual empathy is a key. It's not always coming from your mind. Sometimes it's coming from your psychology and the way you have to deal with this. When he passed away, I was sure that he was was over, that he succeeded to go beyond addiction. And then when I was called in 83, he was he passed away and I was not, I didn't, I didn't keep my word, I was telling him I will be here, and I wasn't. Because I thought at that time that he succeeded, to go beyond that. And then all this shaped my mind. And when today I have some people coming to me and say, okay, you know, as a Muslim, the only affiliation and, and your, your roots are coming from Egypt and you have to be connected to this, there is one part of my life which is missing which is missing, and this is what I, heard, I, I got from, from my, my life. And there is a second story that I want to start with. I was talking uh, about uh, a pedagogy of solidarity to my, to my students, and once I invited a social worker, a Colombian social worker, and I told him, look, I want you You have 45 minutes you talk to, the, to my students, I want you to, to explain the problems that you have, you know, uh, humanitarian problems, social problems, and all that. He started to talk. He had 45 minutes. And f- to, uh, over 30 minutes, he was talking about music, about dance, coming with a tape and, and, and starting to show them how we dance in Colombia. I so said, what's that? He didn't understand what I wanted. And then, all of a sudden, he stopped. And he said, you know what? This is us. I want you to understand that before having problems, we have life. We smile. We dance. Don't reduce me to the problems you saw me having. I'm more than that. I'm a human being. This 30 seconds of explanation changed my perception of everything. Reducing people to the problems we are projecting onto them is the starting point of missing humanity, and he was saying, I smiled before I smile before having problem and this pedagogy of solidarity changed all everything because he understood we may have to change our perceptions of people, and it may be that when it comes to diversity, when it comes to what I believe as a European Muslim, the starting point is changing our perception, starting our perception of the people, and as I said, I was against the the, you know, this phrase and the way it was phrased by Huntington speaking about the clash of civilizations I think that oh, what the people made out of it because it was not exactly what he was saying by the way I think that we are facing a clash of perceptions reducing the people, reducing uh, having a perception, a an analytic perception of who the people are and which way we have to deal with them So this this was in fact the starting point of of my my life as a teacher and this shaped my mind and the way I was to deal with all these problems. And then uh, the point was in the book to try to say something about this and to come to some of the the main points that I want to raise when it comes to, to Western Muslims. I think that there is something which is quite important and once again it's not an intellectual discussion we are not facing an intellectual legal problem. We are facing, yes, legal questions, but we are also facing psychological problems. We are facing the double identity crisis. If you look at what is happening in the West and what is happening in Europe, and you listen to uh, all the discussions that we have now, not only after, by the way, not only after September the 11th or 7-7, seven, seven. it's deeper than that, is that we need immigrants. We need people to come to work here and this is the reality. All the surveys and the statistics coming from the European Union are telling us no economic survival in Europe, or even in the West, in the States, in Canada, or even in Australia without immigrants. So there is something which is an economic need and a cultural resistance. And this is the starting point of an identity crisis. Who are we going to be with all these people who are now visible in our streets? The first generations of immigrants when they came were invisible. In social ghettos, geographical ghettos, not visible. The second and third generations and four generations, even fifth generations now are visible. Now they are sending messages. Our societies are changing. So the European societies, the western societies are facing something which is a natural historical change and it means new identities, new cultures, new religions and new citizens all having the same status, citizens but with different backgrounds, different memories, so it's a deep identity crisis that we are facing and this is why everywhere around Europe, and once again not only in Europe, in the West you have all these discussions about identities, who are we Britishness, Dutchness, Frenchness. To try to define who we are because we have the feeling that we are losing something in the whole process of globalization, immigration and new presence and new visibility. On the other side, so to speak, you go to the Muslim communities around the West and you see exactly the same. An identity crisis. Why? Because the people came from different countries, North Africa, Turkey, Pakistan, India are settling down and then they are facing something which is a very deep question how it is that when you are dealing with the language of a country a culture of a country and you look at your father and you look at your mother and you have problems of communication the culture is no longer the same we may have the same values but the way we are dealing with the values is not the same so we have a problem of communications. And then we realize that what we, we, we learn from Islam is not exactly what we got from our parents. It may be that they are dealing with Moroccan Islam, Pakistani Islam, Afghani Islam, Turkish Islam, and this Islam is not exactly the Islamic principles that we find in the books. So there is a tension, an identity crisis as well. So between two identity crises, this is the perception that we have and if we don't come to this discussion having in mind that we need psychology and understanding and not only laws and, and, and prescriptions, we're not going to solve the problem. We need to deal with intelligence, with intellect, and we need to deal with psychology, and we need to be, we need to be able to deal with emotions and questions and doubts. If not, it's not going to be uh, uh, easy. Having said that, the first questions that are coming out of the whole discussion and this is what I'm trying to explain in the book is some of the topics that are so uh, difficult and that we have to tackle and in which way we have to, to, to deal with this. And once again what I experience as a teacher, what I experienced as myself being a European Muslim born and raised in Switzerland is something that I used. I used my past, I used my roots and I used my personal experience as something which is a school from which I can try to draw a a kind of a framework or a vision for the future dealing with scriptural sources yes and at the same time dealing with my environment, my social environment my uh, uh, main uh, field of study first was French literature and and Western philosophy and then I came back to to the Islamic philosophy and I I had the two and in, in that case it's important to deal with psychology, it's important to deal with knowledge are important here because knowledge without uh, psychology could be very dry and very difficult and psychology without knowledge could be disturbing and uh, undermining the whole process so one thing which is important and I'm repeating this here within the university and I know the legacy of LSE and you know when I was talking with some of the professors here saying you need to do something about and, it, religion, and, and this is also what you are trying to do as a forum I think that say, oh, you know what LSE has a very secular tradition but when the people are saying there is a secular tradition it's as if it's against religion a secular tradition doesn't mean that we don't talk about religion a secular tradition means it's a neutral space where you should be able to talk about everything and all the religions secular tradition is not against religion it's to help the religions to live together so if today while we are seeing all these new questions coming and in the name of the secular tradition you avoid talking about them, you are doing exactly the opposite of what should be done as a secular tradition you have to tackle all these issues because if the secularity of what we call the secular tradition is to help all these people coming together and respecting each other it's the responsibility of a secular institution to open up the discussion not to close the doors it's exactly the opposite of what should be done in the name of the, 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 the secular tradition so the point here was that during the last 20 years I have been invited in many universities many institutions, many organizations and very often as a Muslim I should respond to the perception that people have about the problems that are raised with the Muslim presence. So Islam is perceived as a problem and I have to speak about problems and not about solutions. So the first point in the book is to say be careful. For Muslims, Islam is a solution is an answer to their quest of mean, for meaning. So you may see them as a problem. You may have to descend to, to go through intellectual empathy, in which way Islam is a spiritual message responding to some of the, of the questions. And then this is something which is quite important. We may have, as Westerners, to reconcile ourselves with a philosophical mind. And the religious mind, philosophical mind meaning by this that We are talking about spirituality, we are talking about essential questions. And these questions are part of what is defining the quest for meaning of all our citizens, and among them, the Muslims. But if you come to this discussion today, it's very often the case that we are not talking about this. In very small circles, religious circles, I'm asked to speak about the Islamic spirituality. But when it comes to speak about the ordinary people who speak about problems, as if in the neutral sphere, try to solve the problems. I don't think that this is the right way to put it. I think that in our sphere, the public sphere, this is where we should understand and listen to how the people are answering the essential question, their quest for meaning. We need to reconcile the neutral sphere with philosophical quests. And among them, religious answers are important. So why I'm saying this, because whilst I believe, I think that this is missing in our discussion now, that we, don't, we are not enough listening to each other in which way Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism. And please, Buddhism is not an exotic spirituality that we like because at the end of the day there is no God and, and we are coming back very happy about you know, reincarnation. While if you listen to the Buddhist, reincarnation is not a chance. It's a problem. The, the, the highest hope is not to come back. While some people are very happy to say, I'm coming back. So at the end of the day is, uh, At the end of the day, I'm coming back. This is not at all the very deep spiritual message of Buddhism. So because we are coming with a very superficial take on all this, we don't understand. And I would say that this is why we need to have this discussion. And if there is something that the Muslims and with their presence in our societies now in Europe should also contribute, is this to open up these discussions. Spirituality, quest for meaning, and the essence. Before being a problem for you, I may be, everything could be a light for me, so listen to my light. Before listening to your perception, don't reduce me to your perception. The, the Colombian social worker, don't reduce me to that. So it's a starting point of a discussion here, which is quite important, which is a contribution. And 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 mind you, when we speak about contribution, it's something which is important, when you have the feeling that your presence is a contribution, this gives you value. And when you have a value, you get confidence. And when you get confidence, you are more equipped to deal with psychological problems, having a value. While many of the young European Muslims, mostly in in, in Europe because of the the social reality and the the economic exiles of the great majority of the Muslims who are living here, the perception is that we are always a problem. So it's very difficult to get the sense that you can't contribute. The only people who are contributing is Zinedine Zidane. Football players, so you have to be at the top. These people are not asked about who they co- where they are coming from. They are so French now because because of their skills so at that level, there is something which is quite problematic if we don 't understand that in which way we have to deal with this. so this is something which is an important first uh, uh, dimension, which is. The, the, the spiritual dimension, the quest for meaning and by the way the, the book which is coming after this one is really about this it's the quest for meaning, developing a philosophy of pluralism I want to come from proposals to this because this is essential I'm not going to waste my life talking about problems while well, I think that what we need now is to find solutions and starting with spiritual, philosophical and uh, also of course social solutions but the, the essence of the questioning is so important So, when I'm dealing with all this, I'm also dealing with something which is important some of the topics, is identities. And uh, what I I believe on that, what I'm trying to, to explain is that because we are scared and we are going through an identity crisis, the first normal reaction is to try to define yourself and say, okay, this is me. So, I'm a British, or I'm a Muslim, And you have some people coming to you and say, who are you first? Are you first British? Are you first Muslim? And some Muslims, they want to show how proud they are uh, uh, being Muslim. Say, I am a Muslim first. And some British willing to show that these Muslims will never integrate. Say, okay, I told you they are first Muslims, not first British. And then we have British uh, or Muslim uh, MPs. So we don't know. Are they the MPs of the Muslims, or Muslims MPs for all. And we have a problem of identity. And the point is that the way you put it is problematic. And I'm trying to explain here that once again we have to come with confidence and to be able to say we have multiple identities. And we have moving identities, changing identities. But to get that, you need to feel confident. Be able to say, look, I'm many things at the same time. So I I had from the beginning a very simple way to put it, that I am a a Swiss by nationality, Muslim by religion, European by culture, internationalist by principle, Moroccan by, by adoption, all this, it's all me. But to be able to say this means that I'm defining, and you are not defining it for me, tell me who I am first. And the second thing which is important, I am not only one thing, and not only exclusively one thing, and sometimes, depending where I am, I am something first and something else first, depending on the environment. The environment is pushing one dimension of my identity. So when I am going to vote, I am a Swiss. And when I am in front of my death, I am a Muslim. Because my passport is not solving the problem of death it's not. It's not going to solve the problem of my, the destiny and, and the, the, the meaning of my life. And I'm using once again here discussions that I had with Amartya Sen saying once again and, you know promoting this and saying we have multiple identities and we have to accept this and moving, we are changing. But once again to be able to say when you are asked about who are you first to be able to say This question is a silly question. I'm not going to answer this question. But implicitly you understand that behind this question, beneath the the, the surface, there is another question, which is a question of loyalty. In fact, if I'm asking you who you are first, my question is, can I trust you? Are you loyal to the country? And this is why it's quite important here, and this is why the, the, the Muslims, through their discussion, should also be able to come with a clear answer to this. Loyalty to the country is something which is essential that you care for your people so to be able as a Muslim to say I'm a British Muslim and Britain is my country, these are my people and I care for the future it's not only something that you say, it's something that you feel it's something that you show it's something that you are uh, acting for and this is something which should come with the new generation and should come more and more, be more visible, it's a commitment But once again, loyalty is not blind loyalty. When, for example, with the war in Iraq, some of the Americans and some of the British people were asked to show their loyalty to support the government, I think that this is a wrong loyalty. A loyalty is always a critical loyalty. You support your country, you love your country, you promote what is good in your country, But when your government is doing something which is wrong in the name of the values of your country, you should say no. I'm not going to. It's not my country, right or wrong. It's not my government, right or wrong. And this is something which has to do with trust, because uh, if you are trusted by the people, the people can understand that you are critical towards the government. So when I was asked to come in the task force just after July the seventh one of the conditions was I should be free to speak my mind by saying what you are doing in Iraq is wrong. Ethically speaking, to kill people in the streets in London because people are killed in Iraq is wrong. You cannot connect the two. You have to say this is to be condemned and it is unacceptable. This is the principle. Now, when it comes to can we go in Iraq or in Afghanistan, in the name of democracy, to do what we are doing now and killing people and and civilians, I would say that as if I were a British, but as a European, I would say this is wrong. What you are doing, these are the wrong decisions. So my loyalty is a true loyalty when it's a critical loyalty. If my loyalty should only to prove you that I'm a good British citizen by saying yes to everything, I'm not trustworthy. It's not possible. So this is where loyalty is a very important concept, and and we have to come to a better understanding of what it means uh, when it comes to this. Having said this, there are other issues that are important, and one of of these issues is is really about religion and culture. And I'm tackling the the, the issue because it's really important to, to, to be able to say that when you are a Muslim, or where you are a Hindu, or where you are a Christian, or where you are a Jew, or a Buddhist, the, the principles that you are standing for, the principles that you are defending and promoting, they don't—they they could be connected to a culture, but they are not culture, cultural. So, so the way I put it is really to be very clear on this: there is no religion or spirituality without culture. There is no culture without spirituality and religion, but religion is not a culture. And this connection is very difficult. And this is where to push the young Muslims and the young generations to be critical towards the cultures in the name of their religion is something which is quite important. Because religion could be a liberating process of anything which has to do with cultural pressure. By saying, no, this is more Arabic than Islamic. This is more Pakistani than Islamic. This is more Afghani than Islamic. So in the name of Islam, I have to challenge this. And this is exactly the same. Every one of us should be critical with his or her cultural background because not everything in our cultures is promoting the right values and the the values that we want to stand for. So a critical take on our culture is very important even in the British culture even in anything which has to do with the Western culture it's quite important so I think that this critical take it means that to know to what we belong but to be critical on this it's quite important so it's also something that it's a shared responsibility wherever we are so it doesn't mean that to show to my fellow British citizens that I am very British I'm going to do anything which is culturally British by the way when you want to define this it's quite difficult Some of the people when I was once here in one of the lectures say, you know, it's the pop culture. Wow. So the British culture is the pop culture. So if you have this, if if you reduce this, and sometimes some want to to reduce it to this because it's selective. If you are in the pop culture, you are very British. If you are outside and you refuse, you are not, which is completely silly. It's, It's really superficial. But this kind of discussion, this kind of way of talking to the, about this is quite important. So religion and culture is another topic that I'm, I'm trying to tackle here uh, in the book. I don't have time to go uh, 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 far in, uh, in all the details of the, the discussion. And then also uh, something that, uh, uh, which is quite important is also to deal with... with uh, When we distinguish between culture and religion, when you come to the realm of religion to understand that there are trends and that there is a diversity, so not all the Muslims are standing for the same understandings or or the same interpretations, and that you have reformists and you have traditionalists and you have literalists and you have uh, political trends, This is very complex, and very often when it comes to religions, we are reducing it to something which is a monolithical reality, a monolithical uh, uh, dimension. I think that here as well, it's quite important for the Muslims from within to come to an intra-community discussion about all these trends, which is really important, and and starting with the, the, the Sunni and the Shia tradition. So I think it's quite important to have this and to understand that. And for our fellow citizens to understand that Islam is as complex as Christianity. So these trends are so important. And there is a lack of dialogue within. And there is an authority crisis within. Who is speaking for Muslims? Or do we need someone to speak for Muslims? I would say we don't need someone to speak for Muslims. But we need Muslims to speak more among themselves to have this platform that where they can deal with diversity so these are also things that are problems and problematics that we have to, 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 to tackle and then the, one of the points that I'm also uh, with all this, so identity uh, the question of uh, loyalty, the question of uh, uh, um, uh, our society and religion and culture how we, do, we deal with this the different trends that we have, all these Uh, 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 problematics that we have to tackle and we have to to discuss Uh, uh, I'm trying to to come with uh, not a simple answer but I'm trying to clarify my uh, views on on this and I think that some of the points that I'm making here could help the last point which is also tackled in the book is about a new approach and I called it the past integration approach I want to stop talking about integration you know all these people coming to you say you have to integrate and very often when you have people talking about integration you can just feel that they are not integrating you in their life so it's as if you are still outside as a Muslim by definition you are outside the European uh, culture and it's as if Islam is and remains a foreign religion well, if you listen to something which was said by the President Obama in the, his uh, lecture in Cairo, all the people were saying, Barack Obama, the President Barack Obama is talking to Muslims and Muslim-majority countries. By the way, it's not true. Two days before the talk, he said uh, to a French uh, channel, he said, the United States of America, is a great Islamic country. When I, I was in Turkey when I heard that. I said, no, I think that he didn't say that. Give me the... the, Because he was translating. uh, uh, I said, can you give me the... And in in English, it was it. This is what he said, really. And then during his talk, he was sending a message to the Americans that Islam is an American religion. That we have to learn more about Islam because the contribution of the American Muslims is, is huge. He was trying to say two things to the Muslim majority countries and the Muslims, that there are questions and there are things and and, uh, a positive message about your contribution and still some questions, but at the same time sending a message to the United States of America and all his citizens, you have to take into account now that Islam is an American religion. And I would say that in Europe there is something which is missing in the whole discussion is that we are still not considering Islam as a European religion. It's as if we are speaking about immigration. 80% 80% of, of the conference I, I'm, I'm invited to are, also, are connecting Islam and immigration. It's over. It's over. Islam is the religion of European citizens. And it's a European religion. And we have to deal with it. It means this, that we have to change our mind uh, uh, in the way we deal with this religion and say, okay, how do we deal with all these religions? Among them, there is Islam, which is a European religion. So, at the end of the day, and I'm repeating this and repeating it uh, uh, very often, the success of integration, psychologically speaking, is to stop talking about integration. If really we go at, at, at that level, we stop talking. But if every time you talk, say, okay, you know what? You have to integrate. You mean, that you, you mean in fact, that it is a, a host country and you still have to enter. Or you ha- still have to integrate. The post-integration discourse is to say clearly it's over. Culturally, religiously, during the last 25 years the European Muslims or the Western Muslims now are Europeans and they are now integrated. The point is not this. The point is for them to go to the, uh, 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 a step further, which is contribution. From integration to contribution. What do you give to your country? Because at the end you will go, get that sense of, you know, the sense of belonging when you give something to your country and you say, this is my country. But by repeating and repeating and repeating again, you have to integrate. You are creating the alienation that you are saying that you want to avoid. In fact, you are creating it by nurturing it by this discourse. So, once again, words are creating perceptions and perceptions are creating fractures. And fractures are not helping us to live together. Once again... Both sides, so to speak, so I would say that here it 's quite important this past integration is say okay it 's over now, and in fact, i 'm not projecting because what is the real meaning of the sense of belonging? You, you feel that you are at home, that you can say it, and when I am speaking as a european, say i 'm at home, these are my countries in Europe, of course, there are many European cultures sometimes i 'm lost with the British culture as a Swiss. You may understand why so. Of course, and the French, they are not happy with the British culture. And you you are not so happy with the French culture. Very often I have people saying, you know, they are French. (laughs) That's it. This is the reality of Europe. This is the reality of Europe. So we know this. We are Europeans. We know what is happening here. So the point is that when we are us together, this new we that I'm talking about, a new we means this room with all the people coming from different backgrounds and saying, okay, this is home for us. So we are contributing for the future. The post-integration discourse is to speak about contribution and participation. Say, so, OK, what are we doing now together? In the name of our, I'm not being less Muslim by being more European. I'm both at the same time. And some people are understanding this. You have to be less Muslim to be more European. I'm saying, no, I'm both at the same time. No problem with this. So I'm using my values. I'm using my principles. I'm even using my spirituality to contribute for the better. I say, okay, all this could help me to contribute what is quite important for all of us is that not to come with the dogmatic mind the dogmatic mind is not to contribute it's to impose and the dogmatic minds are not only religious minds you have very secular minds very dogmatic they want to impose their perception by saying the only way to be open minded is to be open minded as I am with no religion I say okay look I'm sorry you are as dogmatic as religious people it's not because you add or you, 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 you add or not God that you, it's a question of mindset. It's not a question of uh, belonging or not to a, a religion. So the point here is is to deal with this in the way uh, uh, in that way and to try also to come with this approach and, and to promote it uh, in our in our society. So with all this, we all have our share of responsibility. For all of us as Europeans, citizens, it's quite important here to be able at the same time to know our society, to know our legal history, but also to deal with memory. In this book, but in the book after this, in the, in, in the book on the philosophy of pluralism, I'm saying that what I have been seeing on the ground as a, a teacher and a professor is something which is quite worrying. The lack of a a sense of history. That we are not studying enough history. We are not studying enough religions. We are not studying enough history. History is quite important. Because what we had, even with the Pope speaking uh, uh, in Germany and speaking about the roots of Europe, saying that there are Christian and Greek uh, uh, roots, say, okay, this is a way to deal with history which is reductive reducing history to something which is these are our roots and sending us a message that Islam is foreign it's, it's stranger it's coming from outside which if you read history, if you study history, it's wrong what he was saying was much more psychological a psychological answer to something which is a deep question he has a problem I can understand this you know, we, we met him in November last year we had a meeting with Muslim scholars I can understand the questions that are raised with the Muslim presence and he had questions and he still has, but to reduce the past because you are scared of the present is not the solution and this is why all of us we have to reconcile ourselves with a, a sense of history because the roots are very diverse and you know now we are speaking about Judeo-Christian tradition In the 40s, in the 30s, who was talking about a a Jewish tradition? It's not true. Who was speaking about a Christian tradition? And now, just to exclude, we add, but we add in order to exclude. I said now it's a Jewish Christian tradition. I think it's wrong. And if you deal with history, you are able to challenge this perception, which is a reductionist perception of the past. So this sense of history is quite important. And then we also have to deal with what we are teaching. Look, if we want to create a new us, in our schools, the only thing that we are teaching is a reductive perception of what is the West, what is Western, what is the European culture. I think we are not going, you are not giving value to this presence. What is said in our schools today about who built Europe after the Second World War? What are we saying about the fathers and the mothers who came in this country to help this country to survive and to be rebuilt? This is part of our history. So to give value to this contribution is helping because if you are giving value to my parents, it means that you are giving value to my presence. And this is something that we have to reassess. What are we teaching? So our society and our You know, official teaching and the way we deal with this is quite important. So, this is something that we have to deal on a personal uh, level by knowing more about our history and our roots and this diversity and all these contributions coming from different backgrounds. I still have eight minutes, huh? I think it's right. So, we all have to do with this. And then also, the governments and the societies. Uh, have a, a great deal of responsibility to, 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 to help this to occur, which is a perception of this diversity officially put, officially taught, officially presented for our uh, uh, new citizens to understand that uh, there is something positive with their presence. And knowing religions doesn't mean that we are. Uh, 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 Promoting you know, missionaries or things like no, knowing more about facts and, 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 and dates and understanding what, religions, what the religions are uh, 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 promoting and what are the values. On the other side, I think that what I'm saying in the book and I have been saying this for 20 years that the Muslims, because I'm speaking here about the, the Western Muslims, have a, a, a great deal of responsibility in the whole process. So to start, to, start to, to, to sit down and to blame the West, not understanding Muslims, they don't like us. They are racist. Sometimes it's true. Some are racist. But the great majority of the people around us are not racist. They are scared. And if I was an ordinary European watching TV every night, I would be abnormal not to be scared, because it's scary. The images that we got of the Muslim majority countries and Muslims are scary. It's all about mainly about violence and and, and disturbing and and rejecting. And things that are said about the West as such are problematic. If we want to change this, as responsible as responsible uh, European citizens or Western citizens is really be able to come with uh, some uh, it was there I'm sorry (laughs) it's really to deal with the problems and to try to face it There, there is two attitudes that we have to avoid the first one is for me quite important is the victim mentality what I was saying we are victims, they don't like us to stop with this victim mentality is a problem is to look at our responsibilities and, and, and to face our responsabili- responsibilities and to stop speaking as victims. We are dealing with something which is a historical process and we are able to change things, minds, and situations and facts. So it's really say, I'm not a victim, I'm an actor, an agent of change. To do this, we have to nurture the confidence, as I said, and I will come to this. But an So so the, the starting point is to stop with this rhetoric, victimhood. The second is to stop with the minority feeling. And this is a trap. This is why I'm saying to the Muslim MP, I don't like it. I don't like it, you being a Muslim MP. I want you to be an MP for all. So drop this, Muslim. And when you are elected in some of the countries, in France or even here, very often, because you are a Muslim, because you have the same background, you are going to be in charge of the people coming from the same background or having the same religion. This is wrong. Be involved in arts, in, in anything else. In money, in power. That's good. Why always being connected to the people, your people? Why? Because the British people are not your people? this minority mindset is a danger. It's really problematic. And some Muslims but also around us, some politicians are nurturing this. And I think that, as I said, there is no minority citizenship. You are a citizen, you are a citizen with all, and if you are elected, you are elected for all. No victim mentality, no minority mindset. The starting point of our discussion. And then, it's quite important to come with, to face some of the, the problems. So once again, Not all the questions uh, uh, coming from our fellow citizens are uh, dealing with Islamophobia. There are questions. We have to respect the fears of the people. And I'm always saying this. I respect the fears of my fellow citizens. I will never respect the instrumentalization of these fears by politicians. I will stand up in front of all the politicians that are using these fears to get voters in the next election, the populists, the far-right parties, and you know what—they are winning the game now, because we have politicians who are not courageous enough to say no or to face this. They avoid the discussion. Look at what it, just look at what is happening now, even in this country. The BNP and the Weda some oh, we don't talk to these people. We are not facing, and then they are promoting and nurturing fears everywhere, and they are gaining and gaining. Look at what is happening in France. What is, uh, look, the normalization of the rhetoric by normal mainstream parties, this is what is happening now. It's not only the far right parties. What was said yesterday by them is said today by all these parties now. And the first party now, you know, and you, we ban people. I'm sorry, to ban Get builders coming from Holland in the UK, he I was told he won today the case. This was a mistake. Let him in. Talk to him. Challenge him. Don't ban him from speaking. He's going to present himself as a victim. And as a victim, he wins, we lose. This is what happens. So I would say that we have to challenge this by having a vision for the future, not by proposing our silence to people who are using fears and instrumentalizing fears. So no respect for populists but respecting the people who are scared at the grassroots level because these people could be attracted and we have to deal with this and this is why Muslims, from a religious viewpoint they have to deal with some of the sensitive issues, without understanding that when the people are asking, they are Islamophobic, no Islamophobia as racist is when I don't like you because you are a Muslim and because, because of the very fact that you are a Muslim I reject you, this is racism Racism against Muslims. But when I'm coming to you and say, you know what, I have a problem with the way you deal with women. I have a problem with the way we deal with mosques. I have a problem with the way you deal with cultures. I have a problem with the way you deal with Westerners by putting all of us in the same box and, and criticizing us. I have a problem with, when I, I have to deal with the penal code, for example, or justice. These are legitimate questions. So you have to listen to the questions and come with critical answers. And to come with deep answers, articulated answers. If you have, and if you don't have, you have to study. You have to come with something. So I'm sorry to say when the people say, "Oh, you are always using women because you know that uh, this is the way to win the," I'm sorry. Islam doesn't have a problem with women, but we have in the Muslim communities problem with women. Yes, of course. There are things that are not Islamic, that are against Islam, that we have to tackle. So in the book, I'm tackling this by saying, we have a problem, yes. In the 21st century, the 5th century, 15th century of, of Islam even, we have mosques where it's impossible for women to enter and to pray. Who taught us this? It's not coming from our tradition. It's coming from culture. It's coming from something which is wrong. So we have to tackle this. We have a problem of authority. We have a problem with so these are problems that we have to tackle. So this is the responsibility not to please the West but to be consistent with ourselves. I'm not here to please the West, to be accepted by the way, when someone is telling me I accept you, I tolerate I don't want to be tolerated or accepted, I want to be respected. But to be respected means that I am respecting myself first by being able to deal with these questions so these questions are so important so I'm dealing with this and even with some of the interpretations that we have with some Muslim Islamic trends of course we have to deal with this so there is a responsibility here and it may be that our situation in the West where we can talk, when we can study when we can challenge this will help us also and this is why in the previous book Western Muslims and the Future of Islam I was saying, and even to be a European Muslim I was saying that what is happening in the West will have a tremendous impact in the Muslim majority countries and by the way, when today I'm going to Indonesia to Jordan, to Morocco the, 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 the countries where the Muslims are in majority what we are experiencing here is heard there we are coming now with some of the answers because we are experiencing something which is a challenging way to deal with our text. It doesn't mean that we are less Muslims or less faithful, but we come with new interpretations, faithful to that text, but uh, uh, dealing with a new context. So I would say that this is a responsibility. And let me put it, because now I really have to, to, to come to my conclusion There are also, so so these are religious fields. So so in the book, I'm mentioning them, coming with some of the, the, you know, on women, for example, on on anything which has to do with the religious uh, trends and all this, we have to tackle this. In a simple way, I'm putting it, but as questions put to the Muslims. This is also our responsibility. So we have shared responsibility. And then there is something which is quite important uh, when it comes to facts and figures. If you look at what is happening in the West, in the Muslim majority, uh, in the, within the, the Muslim uh, uh, communities around the, the, the European countries or, or, or Western countries, there are something which is quite important that we have to promote and we have also to understand that. Is that we need to get the three L's. We got them, but we need to, uh, to, to add and add to this the three L's. The first one is language. You want to be a free citizen in the country you need to know the language of the country no free citizenship without a good command of the language so when people were saying don't learn english because english is the, the language of the colonizers of french we have to stop with this a british muslim should get a good command of english at the highest level and we have to promote this this is part of who you are second is Legislation to abide by the law of the country. Our laws are the laws of the country we live in. Why? Because the two main principles, freedom of conscience and freedom of worship, are respected in the Western legislation. We don't have a problem with this, so we abide by the law. It doesn't mean that we are blind if there are things that are critical and that we have to, as citizens, we talk about them, of course, but we abide by the law. Second L, legislation. The third L, as I told you, loyalty. Critical loyalty, not blind loyalty. Three L's, so important. We have to nurture this. And what I'm saying also in the book is that we need the three L's and we need seven C's. (laughs) Altogether, ten. Seven C's. The first one is confidence. And as I told you, it's a psychological dimension. Confidence. The second is consistency. Consistency means critical mind. I'm trying to be consistent between my values and my actions. Consistency. And it means I have to be critical. In the name of my values, I should be able to be critical towards Muslims or towards anyone else, but towards Muslims. So consistency. The third one is communication. To be able to communicate, have to talk. And it's quite important to have this communication and dialogue within our society. The fourth one is creativity. Creativity means that we are facing new challenges, new ideas, and we have to be creative. Use your mind to come with new solutions, which is also something which is quite important. The fifth one is contribution, to give to the people, to give. I am who I, what I give to the people. And once again, I, told, I spoke about you know, these people at the highest level in, in football teams, in culture that are giving at the local level, to give to your society, to contribute. Contribution is important. The, 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 the sixth one is contestation and I want this to be heard it came in fact I was, I ha, you know at the beginning I have only four C's and I was in Africa and someone coming from Burkina Faso told me now there is one missing <laughs> to contest we should be able to say no and I think it's good to, should be, to, should, to be able to say no within our societies, within our families when we think that something is wrong to be able to contest and say no and to challenge authorities, this is the way to be free contestation, and the last one is compassion, we will launch with uh, uh, Ken and Armstrong it will be next month by the way the 12th of November the charter for compassion, and compassion is quite important, because be careful with the people who are obsessed with justice don't worship justice, work for justice but learn to forgive and this is why we have this in the Quran. God commands you to be just and then to, to, to get this excellence, sincerity, excellence, which is to get this spiritual dimension of being able to forgive. There is no way to solve our problems if we are worshipping justice. Justice is a me. It's, it's a, a, an end. But beyond this end, also forgiveness is so important and compassion it's also something which is a process which is helping us to get that level. So these are the seven C's that are so important and I would say that we have to come with all this dimension and to nurture that. So having said this, shared responsibility this is what we have to do, so tell me, and really this is my final word. with all these good words apparently good words, why being so controversial? And this is what I got from people. Why are you so controversial? With all what you said, that's all fine. And say, the point is that you find it fine when you trust. But some of the people, they are so nurtured by mistrust that it's too beautiful to be true. There is something. And you know we are coming sometimes back to to things that we heard in the 30s. And I'm saying this all dimensions of racism are coming back when people don't trust you they say double talk you say something you mean something else we said this about the Jew we said also double loyalty about the Jews in the, in the 30s and we have to be very careful not this to come back and this is why we have to challenge and the more we speak the more we translate and the more people are saying this this will help to go beyond this mistrust not only want to speak but millions to translate this in their daily life Because at the end of the day, and this is what I'm putting at the end of the book, I'm speaking about the different fronts of people not happy with what I am saying, transforming me into a controversial figure. And they are. I talked about the dogmatic way to deal with secularism and confusing secularism with no religion. And some are very tough with the Muslims as the the, the vehicle for this religious uh, uh, trend to come back. And they are perceiving us as such. So there is one trend here. The second is sometimes about some of the issues that we are dealing some of the feminists, by saying, the very moment you, you wear a headscarf, it means that you are against women's rights. And we have people speaking like this. And you have other feminists saying no. Christine Delphi, for example, who was close to Simone de Beauvoir, is saying no. She is defending the young girls in France uh, uh, wearing the headscarf by saying, if this is their choice, my struggle for feminists is to let them do it not to impose on to them to take it off. But you have different trends here. So we also have to deal with this. For example, I will never stop talking about international issues. I'm a Palestinian supporter. And I know that some, they are not happy with this. I would say I support the Palestinian resistance. I am against killing innocent people. I am against killing innocent people in Israel or everywhere else but the resistance is legitimate. And some of the people who don't like this support are confusing the fields, so we don't have to be naive. My point is at the end of this discussion, all this is fine, but it doesn't mean that this kind of talk and this kind of perception uh, doesn't have, so to say, or so to speak, enemies, because some are dealing with this and they are understanding that this presence of Muslims in Europe could be problematic for their own ideologies and own views so all this also has to be discussed and understood. Commitment without naivety is quite important and humility with ambition is also what I think that we have to, to share together. Thank you.
0: Professor Ramadan for that uh, stimulating talk I think we were all very happy for you to take a few extra moments to complete those thoughts Um, but we have now plenty of time for comments and questions Um, in all cases I would like to ask you to please first raise your hand and when called upon try to be brief uh, so that we have some time to take more questions Um, and uh, I'll be happy if you'd like to introduce yourself before asking your question I'll take
2: a cluster of questions. So, you open it? Yes. Mm-hmm. With the hat. Hi, my name is Asif. I'm doing a master's at LSE. Uh, before I ask my question, a quick uh, point about the banner on the top there. It's quite interesting to see Osama bin Laden beside the Forum of Religion and a mosque. Not quite sure what kind of platform LSE is providing or promoting here. <laughs> Um, uh, regarding the question, um, during your talk you said um, you're not becoming less of a European when you're or when you become more of a Muslim, or you're not becoming less of a Muslim when you become more of an European. I agree with that, but do you think uh, it is possible to become more or less of an European? Because the impression I got from your lecture or your speech is that it is not possible to define what it means to be European. In the first way, apart from the fact that you have a passport of a European country. Um, so, but in the, on the other hand, I think you can actually be, become more of a Muslim or less of a Muslim. That means better Muslim or not that good of a Muslim. So do you think it's possible to become more of a European or less of a European in the first place? Thank you. Thank you. The
0: lady here in the front.
3: I thought I was loud enough. Is this okay? Okay. Um, so um, I know that recently the dean of Al Azhar um, he he made a um, he made a statement about the the niqab, and um, that incident kind of opened the doors for some rulings in different nations. And um, for me, as a Muslim woman, um, I know I don't look Arab, but I am. Um, <laughs> Um, it's really disconcerting um, to have a man on any side of the debate tell me what to wear or what not to wear so um, and I feel like it marginalizes women's issues um, as Muslims and I feel like it reduces it to like to a piece of fabric and um, I was wondering um, what you saw as the role of um, Western young Muslims in kind of changing the face of that debate um, just because for me, it feels a little daunting when I, when I look at that discussion, and sometimes I just kind of want to just not think about it, but, yeah, I just want to know what steps to take.
0: The gentleman in the front row, just wait a moment for
2: the mic. Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Jonathan. I'm a student here at the LSE. Uh, now, Muslims in the West should not forget their origins, uh, and they shouldn't forget also the problems that are being faced in their own home countries. Uh, and speaking of solutions, uh, which you spoke about, uh, can you use Islam as a vehicle for reform and restoring a peaceful uh, social fabric to the Somali citizens living in Somalia? And uh, and what role can the Western Muslims play in contributing towards restoring democracy there? I'll we'll
0: take one more in this round. Yes, the lady in the middle of that section. Mm-hmm. I'm Amira, I'm a student at the Institute of Ismaili Studies in London Um, when you were talking about Islam, religion and culture um, you said there were certain things that were cultural and not Islamic and that were not Islamic and wrong, I think is how you put some of it and I just wondered what your methodology is for deciding what is or is not Islamic plenty for you to work on I think for now (coughs)
1: I have one,
3: I have one. <laughs> okay.
1: No, quite uh, 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 quickly about about your first uh, your first question. Um, of course, if you just speak about practicing Muslims, it's easy to say to be more and less practicing. Even though I think it's it's quite problematic. We have to be careful practicing, you know, the five pillars of practice. It's not this which is helping you to be a deeper Muslim. It's also, you know, deep spiritual take, the deep spiritual, uh, uh, also the deep social messages and and lessons. All this is also helping you to be more Muslim. So I wouldn't just say it's very easy. I would say, formally speaking, it's very easy. Now, when it it comes to, you know, the European cultures are diverse and, and there are many different features, and but still, the point is that yes, when you are in uh, in, in our countries, as a European, there are elements, there are dimensions that are helping you to be more European. Uh, When it comes for example, you know, I was born and raised and and I went back to Egypt. It was quite clear that my taste, my way of dealing with, you know, my my, mind the way I was dealing with people was European and I think that this is shaped by your life here. And then the sense of belonging, that this, you look at your society and you think that this is my society, this is where I like to live. And then add to this now uh, things that have to do with language, that uh, the language of the country, and, and add to the language. You know, language is not only a, a vehicle, it's not only a means of expression, it's, it's, it's in itself a culture. There are, you know, you get... A sense that you are close to the language of a country in a country when you get the sense of humor coming from the language. And you can feel that there is something that is connecting you to the language and to the culture. Add to this literature, add to this arts. That you know, even the taste that you have. Now we have mosques When we come in the West, we very often want mosques with an Oriental taste, which is wrong. There is nothing in, in the way we have to deal with mosques telling us it has to be looks uh, to look like there. No, it could be with the same you know. Dimensions and features but with the taste of here and this is something which is helping us to be more European add to this so this is all the, the, the cultural dimension add to this even the way you, 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 you may eat the way you may dress even by respecting the principles of Islam you are taking from the surrounding society and then uh, the social contribution, the, 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 to be involved in politics, to be involved in politics in your country. This is helping you to get more a European dimension. So I would say, yes, there are many elements helping you to be more European and, and at the same time, exactly the same with, with Islam. So I would say that, uh, and, and, and also the critical take that you can have with the uh, cultures of origin. Because I would never say, you know, when I'm saying I'm Egyptian by memory, it's a richness. And I would, the people, I would like the people to be connected to their cultures of origin as a richness, but to be able also to be critical and to use the European setting, the European culture, to question also the other cultures and say, okay, in which way I can use this as a richness and not as a, as a, a, a hindrance. So these are dimensions. Uh, the second point about... Uh, what Sheikh uh, Tantawi uh, said about uh, uh, about the, the look, he is representing an institution. I'm quite critical of him very often. I think on this, what he's trying to say is that, on coming from a religious, as a Muslim, uh, coming from an Islamic, uh, the Islamic tradition, and saying there is nothing in Islam promoting the uh, the. The, the niqab or the, the, the burqa. So he's speaking as a religious uh, uh, scholar as a, and saying this is not Islamic. And trying to change the, 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 you know, the, the understanding of the people. I understand what he says, and I think it's good that he's saying this. It's not going to solve the problem anyway. Not in that way. For two reasons. First, that we have... I would have preferred him to say that there are many views on this because there are many views on this from a religious background a religious, you know, the classical religious understanding of this is that this was for the, 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 the wives of the, the, the prophet uh, of Islam but it was religious, it was understood as such, some are saying it's for them and not for all the other women so it's, it's circumscribed to this, some others are saying what is good for them it's good for all, you have this so to say it's not Islamic it's to marginalize himself but I think it's still good for him to say this, if we are able to enter into an intra-community debate about, about it not to say it and to be used by some you know, politicians and some uh, governments in the West to say, he said it, and by the way Tantawi, he has you know, legitimacy to speak in the Muslim majority countries in the world, he's not really much followed even though he is at the the head of the the Al-Azhar as a person because he is chosen by by the the Egyptian government and all the people know this. The point for me is that on this, I can understand what you are saying, that we don't want to have someone telling us what to, to dress, but it's still important to have religious voices telling or at least discussing this. For example, I know some Muslim scholars saying that the niqab is Islamic. I am challenging them by saying it's not. I think that the headscarf is an Islamic prescription. The niqab and the burqa is not. In the Asian you know, uh, setting, it's much more as a culture. You have some people who are not even praying but the, wearing the niqab or having uh, 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 wearing a thing like this. This has nothing to do with their understanding of religion. It's sometimes very superficial. So I would say that I'm challenging this discussion, but I think that it's quite important for our young Muslims living everywhere, and especially in Europe, to know about this discussion that there are different interpretations. Now, imposition is not good. Education is necessary. And I would say, you know, in the discussion that we had in France with, you know, this new law that they want banning the, the, the niqab in the streets and the burqa in the streets, I say, law is not going to solve the problem. I'm against the Niqab as being something Islamic but I really think that it's with a discussion from within, with helping the people to understand and not to let the people find their way, so it has, it has to do with education and discussion from within and not with law uh, imposing people to dress in one way or another. So I would suggest, as you were asking me, for the young Muslims to learn to read and to get a sense of all this, this, the different views on it, and then to find their way as uh, young Muslims. And, and this is something which is quite important. More education and more understanding of the diversity of views among the Muslim scholars and the Muslim trends and the Muslim uh, uh, schools of law. Uh, uh, about, uh, uh, I agree with you. I never said, and, and sometimes... Uh, uh, people are misunderstanding me on that. We are Westerners, or we are Europeans. We have to deal with uh, what is happening here. I'm saying we should not be always obsessed with what is happening in the countries of origin. While I'm saying this, what is happening in our streets, you know, uh, marginalization, schools, all these issues are ours. We, are not, we should not show Uh, concerns only when it comes to speak about Islam and and, uh, problems and by the way in the book I'm also saying we have to stop Islamizing social problems in our society or culturalizing them. What is happening in our streets and violence and schools and second class uh, schools that we have these are socio-economic problems and we have to deal with them as socio-economic problems. We have to reconcile ourselves with politics in, in in Britain or in Europe. Having said that, it doesn't mean that we have to cut ourselves. And I would say that what we can do and we should do, it's really to be able to spread around an awareness to our fellow citizens of what is happening in the countries of origin. I'm sorry, it's a shame for me as a European what we are doing with immigrants and it's it's just to criminalize them. It's unacceptable. we are not consistent with our own values we are acting against the European values by by dealing with immigrants the way we are dealing with them within Europe with Eastern European women coming to a new kind of slavery and prostitution this is unacceptable and the way we deal with Africans so this is something which is to broaden the picture now In the Muslim majority countries, and when you are speaking about Somalia, it's really to come with a a deep understanding of the Islamic principles and to say, don't let Islam be instrumentalized by people imposing a view. And and Islam as a reference is there. It's in all the Muslim majority countries. So to say, I don't want Islam to be a reference, it's not up to you to say it. The people are going to, to take it. But... We have to be critical, and we have to come with a better understanding of this reference. In which way, for example, for me, uh, the five principles of Islam, you know, rule of law, equal citizenship, universal suffrage, accountability, and separation of power. In, for me, they are Islamic principles, and we, are, we should not accept anything which is to compromise or. Uh, on these values. So I would say that as a Muslim, I would promote this and being critical with people starting with Islam with something which is a repressive regime or something which is uh, trying to find the, the, the guilty people and not trying to educate the people. So this is where we can be uh, 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 supportive of a better understanding, not, once again, not to please the West. You know why I'm saying this in the book, why some Western governments, they don't like me, why I have been banned from the States. Now, with the Obama administration, you know, as I'm always saying, to be banned by the Bush administration is a honor. It was good. <laughs> Thanks. But, no. Now, the Obama administration are saying that within the next uh, 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 60 days, something which, come, which may be, might be positive. But, once again, I think that it's really important for us in the way why, why this discourse is not like, because I'm also dealing with Western governments but are not consistent they are ready to speak with dictatorships with petrol monarchies to say they are moderate because they gave you money but in fact the way they deal with Islam and the the, the way they deal with the Islamic principles is just unacceptable so consistency for us is also to be critical towards the the western governments by being uh, inconsistent And, and by the way the way the west is dealing with Somalia is problematic, it's problematic you know, uh, what I was saying at, at that time with the French involvement in this, it's problematic. Who are you supporting and why? Why do you want exactly? Is, is it about democracy and values or geostrategic reasoning? I think that this is where, on the political ground, on the religious ground, we may help. Very quickly, uh, a very important question, and, and, and once again, uh, it will be difficult for me to, to, to respond in a few minutes, but in the book, Western Muslims and the Future of Islam, I have one chapter on this, which is uh, helping to deconstruct you know, the religious and the cultural. It's very difficult. It's very difficult, but still, when you come back to the Islamic principles. For example, you may be able to, 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 you have to do, you know, what I call in the, and by the way, the, the other book, Radical Reform, I'm speaking about a problem that we have, which is projecting. Some of the scholars are projecting onto the text their cultural understanding, and we have to do a double work of deconstruction. First, to come back to the text and to try to deconstruct from the text what is dealt with through the cultural setting of the time and the scriptural sources and then you also have to deal with some of the scholars projecting onto the the text their own cultural uh, perception and with this you can come with something which is for example some principles that are religious and sometimes perceived as uh, uh, that we can extract from the text without being uh, 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 shaped or modified by by the cultural projection. It's not an easy process, but it's uh, something which is quite important. For example, today, to be able to speak about some of the the views of the scholars uh, uh, throughout the Islamic history, you can just draw some of the cultural dimensions that are projected onto the text. And I think that this should be done. And we we, we should do this and and question that. For example, when it comes to For example, when people are saying, you know what, according to the great majority of the scholars, a woman cannot be married without a tutor, it's not true. This is one tradition, and then it is something which was supported by culture, but when you come to the text, it's not true. A woman can speak for herself, and this is not Islamic. So you use the text by saying, this is not Islamic. About the contract, for example, the contract, when there is a contract marriage, a woman can can put in the contract, for example, you're not going to marry another woman so this is my right, and about divorce for example a woman, you know, in the book I wrote on the prophet uh, uh, the messenger, I came with uh, uh, five or six examples of women going to the prophet and asking for divorce, we don't have a problem with this so so you can take the example and the history to challenge what is done by culture by saying, oh no, a woman should never ask for divorce, it's always coming from men this is not Islamic, this is cultural and we built on that. So this critical take means that we need to study. It's not always easy, but very often we can see that some few things are done, not few, lots of things are done in the name of culture, and we are calling them Islamic where they are not, while they are not Islamic. Um, well,
0: we have uh, just a couple of minutes, and there were people who raised their hands earlier. Um, so I'll take these two, two burning questions, sorry. and um, and then you'll have time i'm i'm sorry sir I take these two questions please and just be brief and I'll have to ask you also to be brief in your response so we uh, can close about in time
4: yes, uh, Dr. Aziz Lausnia uh, I think you did very well tonight I'm delighted to attend your lecture I think you're really going to satisfy your Italian publisher because this is truly clear presentation of your book which is really for lay people, it's not addressed to academics so you did very well my problem with the, the book it's always the
1: but, but coming <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, my issue is with your presentation I haven't read the book so I don't have any comment about that. you talk about Muslim coming principally from Africa and Asia uh, and we know that nowadays there is a significant minority of Muslim who converted let's say between brackets you know, uh, native European who convert to Islam and they're already really playing a leading role. I mean, I can mention, for example, Yusuf Islam, who did a fantastic job in bringing Muslim schools into the mainstream and getting them state funding. So nowadays nobody questions you know, Muslim schools. They can get state funding. Nobody questions. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it has been a long struggle, but if it wasn't for people like Yusuf Islam, it would have taken probably decades for Muslims to get State funding for their school. I think we've gotten the point very, of, the, of the question. Uh, very important role, yes. and so I hope that your book addresses that question <laughs> because the 10 parameters you mentioned surely they don't apply to okay. Muslims. We're know. going to move you on know to, know. to the
0: next question. Thank you. If you could so just take the, take the mic. Thank you. Um, so my question, you, you touched on integration, you touched on the dynamic form of identity and so forth. And I guess uh, my question is personal. Um, and I, my question is really um, when you look at the most local level, how that can work out. So in terms of interfaith marriage and what your approach or comment or advice would be for a Muslim to marry a non-Muslim. Thank you. And you have- one
3: last question. Yes, sir. Was it no. One last question. Agenda in the back. You wanted to take brief. Um. Hi. Good evening.
1: Um, I have I've watched one of your programmes that uh, was in France too, with Eric Zemmour, and uh, one of the questions basically is asked. I believe the answer is in your book, but I would love to know where you got the answer from. Um, was basically because you spoke about being Muslim. British or British Muslim or French or however you said it earlier, and you took about 10 to 15 minutes. But in France too, when Exmoor asked you, you literally answered in 10 seconds or less. Um, uh,
3: The way you said it was "je suis musulman suisse," I'm a Muslim Swiss, and that was it. And I would love to know how you came to that conclusion.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Okay, uh, about your first question. I think it's a very important one, and I was not able to tackle this, but I'm talking about converts or what we call reverse, but I'm talking about, about them in the book. I'm not so sure that it's as simple as you put it, because I think that for years, still now, you have converts, men and women, coming to Islam, And what was expecting from them, from their fellow Muslims, was not for them to be Muslims. was for them to Arabize themselves, to Turkishize themselves, to Pakistanize themselves. So I saw so many converts confusing Islam with the cultures of the others and not coming with their own culture as British, as French, as Dutch. And I would say that we have to stop this. This is why I'm always saying you are entering Islam and you are not marrying the culture and you should not alienate yourself. So many of our fellow uh, Muslim converts, very often they alienate themselves from their own culture. So they don't feel at home here even. They are British. They speak British or uh, English. They are coming from here and they are creating a new... And this was, by the way, the first years of Yusuf Islam was exactly like this, he started to dress in a way which was not so British, very much coming from there, and he, we start and we have to understand the psychology because he himself you know, when we were talking, he explained to me this this uh, this and, and so many explaining that you have to cut yourself from your past. You are entering something new, so the best way is to cut yourself. And then after thirty years, now he dresses like you, he dresses as a British and he's coming back to this music which is not anti Islamic and it's not oriental. He's not he's not singing like we we sing in, in Syria or in Egypt as a British. This is his culture. So I would say, depending on our views on, on music, I think it's not anti-Islamic. I think that in I uh, explained in this in, in one of the books, uh, to be a European Muslim. And I think that uh, uh, there is something which is quite important. They are playing a very important role if, and only if, they understand that their past, their culture, their language are part of who they are and they can contribute for the future. And when you say they don't need the the seven C's or the three L's, yes, they, yes. You know, we have some converts just to show that they are within the community every three words in English they add a word in Arabic and say, yes, what are you talking about? Speak (laughs) English. This is your language. So, you know, they are putting words just to show because here we are creating a complex a complex. And very often in this community as Muslims, when you speak Arabic, it's as if, wow, you are touching the, 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 the sky. So, no, it's just Arabic. <laughs> it's just Arabic. It doesn't mean that you get it. You, don't get it. you know, it's very important because this, so I am insisting on this because you are completely right, but we have to, 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 to touch it as a problem within the, the Muslim communities in, in, in the West, not understanding the huge contribution that can be made by, by converts here about interfaith marriages uh, you know if you come to the Islamic principles it's quite clear what is said the classical tradition is for uh, uh, and once again I'm explaining this in another book which is a discussion with a Christian who was asking me this and this was almost 15 years ago, I was explaining the whole philosophy of the Islamic family, why it's possible for a man to marry uh, a a Jewish or a Christian woman and not for a woman who is uh, supposed to marry a Muslim uh, man. This is the classical tradition and these are the rules of Islam, depending, of course, related to the Islamic philosophy of what is the family and what are the rules. Now, what is happening on the ground is that uh, one quarter of the, the Muslim women, for example in France, are marrying non-Muslims. So this is the reality, the facts are here. Add to this something which is now I'm coming from the principles to the facts, something which is quite important. In the West, in all the, very quickly I'm just, but, but it's a very important question, I think it's really essential to understand that within the, com- the Muslim communities now what we have is women are much more educated now than before and they are becoming more educated than men. So the level now is completely shifting. The women are much more educated and they look at the men within the community and say, hmm. (laughs) No, but that's true. And when you are sitting with them, you have to say exactly the same, hmm, yes, I understand the point. (laughs) The point is that it's a great responsibility within the communities just not only to say to the women you can't, but to come to the men and to, to do the job of, of more educated. You know, it's really a great responsibility to push on that side because the problem at the end will be also a problem. The problem of women is a problem of men. So very often in our setting we come speaking about you know the women in Islam and all this. We may have now to think about men in Islam. I'm, not, I'm serious, I'm really serious about, about fatherhood, about interpretations about authority, about you know, even the concept of, of uh, communication, of tenderness of affection, it's very important, all this, this is the problem that we have now, at the psychological level having said that now, uh, coming from the facts, when you are dealing with interfaith or intercultural marriages, it's always difficult, and I would say I went through the process myself, and I, I think it's quite important here to say, okay, look, when it comes to culture, you know, it's not because you are from the same religions that everything is going to be simple if you are not from the same culture. So all this, it's be, you better talk about it before and look at this, you know, dimensions, because you may, once again, it's, it's why are you getting married? It's just because of love, which is good, the starting point is good, but you are not. Your daily life is not only about love. Your daily life is also about values, about what do you want with your kids. What. So all this, I would, I would say I'm open to this diversity. But I, I would like the people to be more serious about, you know, uh, sometimes love turns you blind. This is the reality of it. And you are dealing with cultures and you are dealing... And once more than that, I can tell you something that I'm dealing now with so many men coming to me and telling me I married her, she did not show anything about her religion. And now she's coming to me and saying Islam is my religion. And you have... So she's blaming him because he did not take this into consideration in the past but this was not of his business. So I would say that uh, we need to have something which is a very deep deeper approach towards this. If you are open to it, it's not because you are open that it's going to be simple. And I would say, Islam has the framework, but even within this framework or outside this framework, we have a great deal of work to do with, with this dimension. Intercultural same religions or same culture or different cultures, different religions this is a very deep discussion a very deep uh, 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 problem and the last point about how did I I come to Je suis uh, Musulman Suisse uh, by the way I I, I don't remember having said Je suis Musulman Suisse uh, uh, but I'm saying it, Je suis suis Musulman Je suis Musulman Suisse, I don't have a problem with this Uh, what I'm saying is that my own personal my personal life was really that uh, I don't have a problem of having multiple identity and I don't have a problem to be something more than other depending where I am so it's a personal experience now I did this also this was my personal experience and then I came back to the scriptural sources to to the Islamic uh, classical tradition And I built on this. And in in the book, To Be a European Muslim, I'm explaining that nothing in what I'm saying is against Islam, quite the opposite. The universality of the Islamic message is not to reduce you to something, one thing. It's to tell you, yes, you are a Muslim, but you can take from this culture. You can take, and I'm also, I am putting it on the intellectual ground as well as on the cultural ground, on the arts, on anything. By saying on the intellectual ground, wherever I am, I'm finishing. Wherever I I am. You know, it's a very important point. When I'm talking to Swiss people, when I'm talking to British people, the intellectual ground is this one. It's really to be inclusive. This is my identity. My identity is to be inclusive in everything which is good, intellectually speaking. So I don't have a problem to be Swiss or to be a British. When, for example, you talk to me and you have a good idea, it's mine. You have a bad idea, it's yours. This, no, but it's not, you are laughing, but this is a, it's a mindset. It's a mindset by saying I'm open to everything which is good. On the cultural ground, my religion is telling me wherever, you know, you have a saying, the good wisdom is the last property of the Muslim. Wherever he or she finds it, he or she has to take it. So, lost property means I come to the British culture. There are many things in the British culture that are more Islamic than in my Egyptian culture. It's very difficult to to explain this to Egyptians. (laughs) but Many things in their culture is not really Islamic. So you take and you are inclusive, but it means that your mind should be open to this, and you use your experience as something which is a process of self-criticism, education, and 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 welcoming anything which is good from wherever it comes
0: I think we've had a very interesting and uh, stimulating discussion here going and I appreciate this broad array of questions Um, so I'd like to thank you for those Uh, I'd like to suggest that you keep an eye also on the Forum on Religion uh, website for future events and on that note I'd like to say we have these uh, pictures are not chosen by Forum 1 religion. not sure how they got there. It was a very good point. Um, and... Uh, I'd like to remind you about the books outside. I'm hoping that the Oxford University Press driver was quick enough to bring them all. Um, please do pick up a copy. There's another book uh, available, an older book of Professor Ramadan's. And I think you'll be happy to sign copies here. Yes? <laughs> if you come here, I'll be sitting, bring your copy. Is it a question or? A <laughs> strong <laughs> suggestion. A warm Thank you.